0: Oh, goodness. Happy Father's Day, everybody. It's good to see everybody here today, to all the dads. Where are my dads? Would the dads please stand today that we just might recognize you and appreciate you and love on you for just a minute. God bless you guys. Outstanding. Thank you. You may be seated. I'll pray for you in just a little bit. And uh, we just are so thankful to have the dads here at Nine Mile and for you at Spanish Trail this morning. We welcome you as well and wish all of the dads uh, there a happy Father's Day, as well as to all of you who are worshiping with us online and our online gathering this morning. God bless each and every one of you and uh, happy, happy Father's Day. The greatest blessing of my life, at least one of them anyway, near the top, if not at the top, is the blessing of being a dad. And uh, I just rejoice. If I told y'all in just a little bit, I'm going to be a grandpappy. Amen. I just need to tell you that about 25 more times, just in case, and uh, boy, life just gets better and better and better, and so we're very thankful. I told Gary out uh, back just a moment ago, I'm praying that the last half of 2020 is a whole lot better than the first half, and uh, uh, it's looking up, so we're very, very grateful. Take your Bible, if you would, and be finding the book of Exodus, chapter number 19 this morning, Exodus chapter 19. Some time ago, a young college graduate with a degree in art history was being interviewed for an entry-level position at the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. He was sitting down with the curator of that venerable institution. And the curator who was interviewing him asked him a series of questions. And he said, well, let me ask you this. If the building caught on fire and you could rescue from the building any portrait of all of the valuable portraits in the Metropolitan Museum, which one would you rescue? The young man thought for a minute, looked back and said, Well, I suppose whichever one was closest to the exit. He did not get the job. As I thought about that story, it caused me to think that There are lots of God's people who come into the house of God with attitudes very similar to that. Have you ever known anybody, maybe even yourself, who came into worship looking to get out as quickly as possible? All kinds of valuable stuff goes on in worship. And yet how many of us come in and when the heat gets turned up a little too hot, We start looking for the closest door, and we try to exit the building as quickly as possible. Part of the reason, I think, is because we come into worship so often focused more on us than we are focused on God. So many of us, including the preacher from time to time, have come into worship with almost the attitude, what y'all got? for me today, instead of, what's God going to communicate to me today? What word from the Lord do I need to hear to radically revolutionize my life or to meet a great need that I'm facing in my life today? So many of us, particularly in the Western world, want to dictate the terms of worship to a holy God. And if there's one thing we learn from this monumental meeting that God is having with Moses that He will have with His entire people at a place the Scriptures call the mountain of God. It is this understanding that God and God alone dictates the terms of approaching Him in worship. Let's take a look at Exodus chapter 19, if you have a Bible with you this morning. If not, it'll be on the screen, Exodus 19. And I'm going to begin reading in verse number 9 today. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe in you forever. When Moses told the words of uh, the people to the Lord the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments. Be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or to touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments and he said to the people, be ready for the third day and do not go near a woman. Father, this morning we thank you for the blessing of the worship of God and as we approach you now through your eternal and living word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would not only dwell among us, move among us. But that your spirit might speak to us, person to person, heart to heart, that we may hear his word and live in obedience, that you may be glorified through the life of every one of your children gathered in this place today and beyond. We pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I've said many times, Exodus is one of the great books of the Bible. And it's a great book not just because it is a dramatic story from start to finish, not just because it contains dramatic stories almost one right after another. It's a great book because not only does it teach us that God delivered His people from a bad place, but it reminds us that God is a God who desires to make Himself known. God is a communicating God. Y'all believe God still speaks? Amen. And that God longs to reveal Himself to us? You still believe that? Y'all believe God wants you to have an understanding of who He is and what He's about and how He wants to operate in your life? God is a God that desires to make Himself known, and that's one of the great purposes of the book of Exodus. And You see God revealing Himself, God speaking, God showing up in different ways in different forms. He is, as we have already learned in our brief study of Exodus 18 and 19. He's a God who brings people out. He's a delivering God, but He's a God who brings people out in order to draw people close, close unto himself, uh, Himself that they may know Him and live in a Sure enough relationship with the God who made them. But here's the thing: when God does that, when God brings us out and draws us close, He always does it on His terms, not on yours. His terms, not ours. And so what I'd like to do this morning with this very famous passage of Scripture is kind of communicate to you what God communicates to Moses to communicate to the people, namely four warnings, four admonitions. That I think bear directly on our worship of God. I've said many times, worship has a, a you know a dual dimension. We have personal worship that we engage in on an everyday basis in our abiding relationship with God, and then there's corporate worship. And I'm speaking more this morning from the latter than from the former. Though what I'm about to say certainly does apply to us. Four warnings as it relates. To the worship of God. The first is simply that worship cannot be manufactured. You can't conjure up worship, you can't draw it up, you can't make it up, you can't manufacture it. Although humanity has had this tendency to try and manufacture worship, try to approach God on their own terms since the very beginning, Adam and Eve made a decision that even though God had given them strict instructions about How to approach him, that they were just going to do it their way. And so they just formulated their own terms and they approached God in their own terms and it cost them dearly. We read about how humanity did that later on in Genesis chapter 11, trying to build a tower to the heavens in a very presumptuous kind of way. We've been trying to approach God on our terms since the very beginning, but in this mountaintop meeting, God speaks to Moses, a word meant for the people, and he communicates to Moses that he intends to meet with the people, but he's going to meet with them, not according to their terms, but according to his. That's in verse 9. The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you. Did you all see that? Say amen. Not y'all are coming to me. I am coming to you, and I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear, and then verse 11, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And that's very familiar imagery, God coming down, but it's also a very important revelation because if if worship is ever truly going to happen, it won't be because of our feeble attempts to build bridges or ladders, Or staircases, or towers to the highest heaven. It will be because God decides to come down to us. The Lord makes a declaration to Moses here: I will come down in the sight of the people. And as Philip Ryken puts it, whenever God visits His people, it's always a come down. That's what God's doing here with this cloud. That cloud is what we call a theophany. It's a fancy word that just simply means an appearance of God or a manifestation of God. A theophany is a visible demonstration that the holy God of heaven is lowering himself to his people. God is coming down to meet with his people and the people would be able to clearly see and experience that. God didn't live on that mountain. That mountain was no more God's home than the temple in Jerusalem would later be God's home than the tabernacle would be God's home. That's not where God lived. God didn't live on that mountain. He was just using the mountain as a place to come down in order to meet with His people. And by the way, that's a sinful people's only hope to have a meeting with God. You'll never have a meeting with God unless God decides to come down and visit you. One of the characteristics of God is that God is give you two big words. Well, I've already given you one. Theophany is an important word. Another word is transcendent. Transcendent. And that simply means that God is other than us. You are not God and God is not you. Yes, you're created in the image of God, but God is wholly other. He is otherworldly. He is distant from us. He is separate from us. He is a transcendent God, totally separate from A sinful, broken people because of His magnificence and because of His holiness. God is transcendent. He's separate. He's distant. He's set apart. But then God is also imminent. That's another big $2 theological word, Eminent. And that means that God draws near to those He loves. So this otherworldly God who is separate, unique, and totally removed is a God who comes down, We call that the eminence of God. And God does that by His grace. God comes down to lowly people when lowly people cannot manufacture their way to God. It's kind of like a humble adult. One of my favorite things as a pastor is to minister to children. I know why Jesus loved to be around kids. I love kids. They color me pictures. I had a young boy bring me a flower today. I think it was actually a piece of Johnson grass, but I took it as a flower and I have down there on the pew this morning. You cannot be kids. Somebody say amen. And many times a parent will bring me a child to tell me a story of something that they've seen or someplace that they've been or something that they've done or maybe even to tell me that they've invited Jesus into their heart to be their Lord and Savior. And rather than standing up, towering above them, looking down at them, one of the disciplines that I've learned is to stoop in front of the child, to get down low in front of the child in order to have a conversation with that child on eye level. I think it means something to the child when a big adult actually does that. And the reason that that's important is because that's exactly what God, our Heavenly Father, does to us. He comes down to minister to us at our level. We call it the condescension of God. God is a Lord that condescends. He's a God who stoops. He's a God who comes down. That, brothers and sisters, is a miracle of grace. Never forget that. Isaiah 57 and verse 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, a.k.a. transcendent God. A God who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, and here's what he says. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. You see both concepts of God there? High and distant, high and removed, high and exalted because of his holiness. Transcendent God, but a God who stoops to make himself known to the lowly. That's the eminence of God. And really, that's the story of the gospel, is it not? That's the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is a story about God stooping low in order to connect with and save a lost world. And how did He do it? He did it by coming to us in human flesh. God came down. He came down in the form of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, who is what? Emmanuel, say it, God with us. So worship can't be manufactured. God must come to us. That's the first admonition about worship that you see here. Secondly, we learn that God alone makes the rules when it comes to worship. Oh, we want to make the rules. Sometimes we try to make the rules. Sometimes we impose the rules. But in true worship, only God makes the rules. God was drawing close to His people, but the next thing we learn here is that He wasn't going to draw too close. Not too close. Close enough but not too close. Verse 12, and you shall set limits. Circle the phrase, set limits. You shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. In other words, there were penalties for violating the rules that God established. This is kind of the equivalent of, of lining off, God lining off the base of the mountain with police tape. Somebody say amen. Do not cross. Y'all seen the yellow police tape, right? That's kind of what God does here, in a way. Do not cross. Or posting signs around your property, all around the perimeter of your property. It says, no trespassing. All violators will be prosecuted. I've seen some said all violators will be shot, right? And God basically says that here. He says it literally. All violators will either be stoned or shot, not with a gun, but with arrows, because God is making rules here that the people may not completely understand, but He knows that unless they adhere to the rules, it was going to be problematic for their safety. God was coming close to His people, but the people needed to take care not to come too close to God. And the penalties for violating were very stiff. Not only stoned or shot, but he said, once they were, don't go anywhere near their body. Don't touch it. Don't pick it up to bury it. Don't do anything, lest you be contaminated by their unholiness and their disobedience. And speaking of unholiness, that helps us to understand why God lays out these parameters. Why would God make a statement like that? Because of his holiness? Not only because of His holiness, but because of the people's unholiness. It's not wrong for the people to want to come close to God. It's not wrong for any of us in here to want to peek behind the curtain and see the fullness of the glory of God. What is wrong is for you to write your own rules in terms of how you do it. What is wrong is to demand access to things that God says you're not prepared for. There's some things you're not ready for. Some things from the perspective of God, are meant to remain mysterious, some things are meant to remain secret, some things are just off limits to broken, unholy people. So God makes the rules. And He does so in part because He's sovereign God, He's God, He created everything, including us, and as sovereign God, He gets to make the rules. But He also does it in part to protect the worshiper, because He loves the worshiper. God will say later in the book of Exodus, Exodus 33 and verse 20, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the reason that's true is because we don't have the uh, holiness necessary to see the Lord. And that's why these people need to keep their distance from the mountain. They needed to wait for the ram's horn to sound that long blast, the all clear, so to speak, before they approach the mountain. Because here's the principle, we don't just get to barge into the presence of a holy God as if His realm was something that we owned. It's an important reminder. The takeaway is don't be careless in the worship of God. Don't be careless, don't be presumptuous when it comes to worship. Instead, you ought to be extra careful that you're approaching God biblically that you and I are approaching God on His terms because God sets the rules when it comes to worship, and God is a dangerous God. Now, some of you all back up when I make a statement like that. Well, that's not the God I know. The God I know is a loving God. Well, yes, God is a loving God, but God is also a holy God, and God is a jealous God. In fact, that will be very clear in Exodus chapter 20. I, the Lord's your God, am a jealous God. And then later on in the book of Exodus, we find out of all the many names of God, one of the names of God is actually jealous. Not only is that a word that describes his character, it's actually one of God's names. He's a dangerous God. To C.S. Lewis, God was as Land the Lion. And Aslan the lion in the Chronicles of Narnia was not a kitty cat. He was a roaring, powerful lion. And God is a powerful God who rules with power and absolute authority. And that's why even in the New Testament, you say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, let's come to the New Testament. Hebrews 12 and 28. Therefore, let us offer to God what kind of worship? Say it out loud. Acceptable worship with what? Again, reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The God of the old, the God of the new, is a God who is holy and reserves for Himself the right to make the rules for approaching Him. Now, this creates a dilemma that needs a solution God is coming to meet with his people, but God's too dangerous in his holiness for them to come near. So God is drawing near to them, but warning them not to draw near to him. So, what were the people to do? What's the solution? Well, the solution lies in the third admonition here worshipers must come prepared, prepared to meet the Lord. And that's prescribed in verses 10 and 11. The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Two days of preparation. Many Christians today do well to give 15 minutes of preparation. Two days. Giving you two days advance warning. Let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai on the sight of all the people, verse 15, be ready for the third day. And do not go near a woman. Now, that, of course, is instruction to the men there to abstain from sexual relationships until such time as they met the Lord. So God instructs the people you got three days to get ready to meet with me. You better use your time wisely. Purify yourselves inside and out. Guys, don't touch a woman. Wash your clothes, purify your bodies, purify your hearts. Don't touch a woman. Ladies, stay away from the man. That's kind of God's way of saying when you meet with God, you need to take it very seriously. Not carelessly, not casually, not flippantly. To wash their clothes was a sign of purity. It was supposed to go on in their hearts, and by doing it for the garments that they wore outside their body, they were demonstrating externally. It's kind of like baptism. You're demonstrating externally the purity and the cleanliness that's taking place in your life internally. Wash your clothes, sanctify yourself, purify yourselves. To withdraw from sexual relations was a form of fasting. That's basically what God tells them to do. Fast from sexual relationships. Withdraw from physical pleasures for a while in order to focus on spiritual matters that are of critical importance. There is no true worship apart from self-denial. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Look at Ecclesiastes 5 and verse number 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. That's just an important statement. Walk carefully, tread carefully when you go to church, we might say. To draw near to listen, quietly. Is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. That'd be a good memory verse for most of us. Amen. Put that one on your bathroom mirror. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. That's just a a picture of sobriety, of seriousness when it comes to how we approach God, how we come to church, how we prepare our hearts to meet with the Lord, not to be careless, not to be casual, not to be flippant when it comes to matters of worship. Uh, I remember when I was Uh, cutting my teeth in ministry in the 1990s, the God with us movement. Y'all remember the musical God with us. And then that was followed up by God for us. It was tremendous, life changing. But I remember there was a song in there, uh, that we modified for church worship called come just as you are. You remember that song, come just as you are, let the spirit fall so forth. And here's the thing. That's a great song, but it's especially a great song for lost people. That's a great song for for people who are spiritually lost because it's impossible for lost people to clean themselves up enough to get God to accept them. You just have to come just as you are. Come, ye sinners, poor and weary, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus stands ready to save you, full of pity, love, and power. I will arise and go to Jesus. That's an old hymn that basically communicates the same message as the newer song, Come Just As You Are. But I'm really not all that sure that Come Just As You Are is the greatest of songs for somebody that's walking with the Lord. I think we can do better when it comes to the worship of God as the people of God than simply just coming as we are. In fact, I think based on this passage of Scripture that God would say, in fact, I really want you to do the opposite. Is that what God told the people of Israel? Don't worry about it, guys. Sleep in until about 8 o'clock and then just come on around the base of the mountain and we'll, get, we'll, we'll have church. That's not what he said. He said, I'm going to give you th- three days before I meet with you, and you need to spend the better part of the next 48 hours preparing yourself for what's going to happen on the third day. So I'm pretty sure that coming just as we are is kind of the last thing that we need to do when the people of God come into the presence of God. So we do need to beware lest we start approaching the worship of God altogether too casually. And I ain't talking about dress either. I'm wearing an open-collar short sleeve shirt today and proud to do it because it's Florida and it gets hot on this stage. But that's not what he's talking about. It doesn't have anything to do with dress. Although you can cross a line with dress, there is such a thing as dressing too casually. But that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking the perspective of our hearts. We have this tendency to rush to church and Not much thought about worship before we get here. There's no repentance. Then we get to church and we start having conversations about everything. But matters related to God and the worship of God. There's no real sense of honor sometimes. There's no sense of the greatness of God. There's no real sense of the expectancy of what God might do in my life and in the life of our church. Again, it's more like we come to church looking at the preacher on stage saying, okay, brother, what you got for me today? That's what I mean by careless, casual worship. I'm pretty sure. That every one of us in the room today, including the preacher, is underestimating the holiness of God. And that's what we want to capture. And it's why God gives us passages like this. Why is a passage like this in the Bible for that very reminder? Don't ever underestimate the majesty and the power and the holiness of God. Listen, even the early church did that 2,000 years ago. Fifteen hundred years or so from the time Exodus 20 was written, the early church was still struggling with this. Notice what James writes in James chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. This is the New Living Translation rendering. I really, I think this comes, uh, this comes uh, really close to capturing what James is trying to say. Come close to God and God will come close to you. And when we're told here to come close to God, that's basically a synonym for prepare yourself. Prepare yourself, draw near to God, be ready to meet God, and God will come close to you. And then notice what he says, wash. Same concept. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Again, a reference to being clean inside and out. Wash your hands, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord. So worship has always meant both to the old covenant people of God, the new covenant people of God, and the people of God living in the 21st century, being prepared to meet a God who above all things is holy. And thankfully, God doesn't just leave us to do that completely uh, on our own, as if making ourselves clean was something that we were totally responsible for. Yeah, you got to make an effort, but you never do that effort alone apart from the guidance and leadership of the Holy Spirit. And that takes us to a final admonition about worship, and that is a mediator is always required when it comes to worshiping God. You need a go-between. You need somebody to use the language of Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, you need someone to bring you to God. And that's what we mean by mediator. Now, who was the mediator for the children of Israel? Moses, right? Moses was their mediator. God wasn't talking to them yet. God was talking to one man who kept evidently, listen, Moses was 80 years old. He was in the best shape of anybody in Israel because he kept coming up and down that mountain. Up and down. Got to get a word from the Lord. Take it back to the people. Got to give a word to the people. I got to go back up and finish my conversation with God. And I tell the people this. All right. And he goes back down again. Up and down the mountain. Up and down the mountain. Verse 14. Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. Moses consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. So God was speaking to the people through Moses. And Moses communicated the needs of the people, the concerns of the people to God. Y'all see where I'm going with this, don't you? See, this is a reminder when it comes to being properly prepared to meet with God, you cannot properly prepare yourself by yourself completely. We need help. And again, this is another miracle of grace because God knows we need help. And in his grace, God gives us what's lacking in our own ability to properly prepare ourselves in order to have a face-to-face meeting with a God who is holy. And he does it by giving us the gift of his only begotten son. Hebrews 10 and verse 10, we have been sanctified, cleaned up through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Did y'all see that? See, it's Jesus whose righteousness makes us acceptable to God. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, the psalmist asked, who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who's not lifted up his soul into an idol, sworn in a deceitful way, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. you got to have righteousness in order to connect with righteousness. And the only way broken, fallible sinners can approach God righteously is by having the very righteousness of God inside of us. And the way that happens is through a faith relationship with Jesus Christ. When a person is saved, the first thing that happens is we're baptized by the very Spirit of Jesus Christ. Christ moves into our lives. We become one union with Christ. And Christ lives in us so that now when God sees, us. he doesn't see the brokenness of sin he sees the righteousness of his son and now you can stand face to face with God and not die that's why you need a mediator and the mediator God gives us is Christ the perfect risen Jesus God comes near to us in Christ we come near to God only in Jesus Christ. Guy went to a garage sale, and on the front table was the most beautiful nativity scene that he'd ever seen. Owner was selling that nativity scene. He began to look at it, and noticed it was carved from olive wood. And he said, Man, this is a beautiful nativity scene. The guy said, Yeah, we got it when we were in Holy Land. Bought it in Nazareth. And he said, well, why in the world would you sell? How much do you want for this? And he told him, and the price was dirt cheap. Dirt cheap. And the guy couldn't believe it. And he thought, man, there's got to be a catch. He said, why, why would you sell this at all? And then if you did sell it, why would you sell it for such a pittance? And the guy said, well, really, you need to study it closely. So the guy began to gaze, and he began to look, and he saw the stable, and he saw the animals, and saw Mary and Jeb, and then it dawned on him, there wasn't no Jesus in the nativity scene. Somewhere along the line, the owners, in their moves from one house to another, somehow Jesus got lost. Jesus got lost. And they... Looked at the man and said, hey, if you want it, here's what we'll sell it to you. Because to us, it just doesn't communicate anything anymore. Because Christ is not in it, it's really not worth anything to us. Got to be careful. Because if you're not, churches can become just like that. Full of all kinds of things, even beautiful things. But when a church starts to set its own terms for approaching and worshiping God, sometimes they can remove themselves so far afield that not even Jesus is in the worship. And when Jesus is not in the worship, it's not worth anything to God. The end result is always empty and cheap, and we will miss what could have been A life changing meeting with God. It's a great passage of Scripture that's often overlooked. The transcendent God of the universe longs to come near and meet with his people. But never forget, God always meets his people on God's own terms. God draws near to us, and we draw near to him only in and through the person of Jesus Christ, who, never forget, is Emmanuel, God with us. This is God's word, and let all who agree say amen this morning.